Thank you, Zach. Let's, uh, let's start in prayer as well as we dive into this. It's a heavy topic, but it's worth us to, to do so as we go through these times where we're living in. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do thank you that you're teaching us what it means to live by faith in troubling times through Habakkuk's words. And I pray that as we dive into the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, that we would look at this with renewed eyes and, and, and new ears. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a warmed heart to the reality of your grace and truth. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last week we started in Habakkuk 1, answering Habakkuk's question, Lord, why aren't you doing anything? Well, if you remember, the Lord gave him an answer. You know, he said, okay, I'll do something. I'm going to send the Babylonians. They're going to invade your country. They're going to take over. They're going to kick you guys out. How do you like that? And he goes, really? Verse 12, as we said, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? You know, as if to say, Lord, I wouldn't be upset with you if I didn't think you were holy. But you are holy, and therefore I'm upset. <laughs> All right? So here we come to this second complaint of Habakkuk. And what we're going to learn here is how to handle waiting periods during turbulent times. All right? The Bible talks about waiting on the Lord. But what does that mean when we wait on the Lord? I would suggest that there's no better place in all of Scripture to learn what it means to wait on the Lord than through the prophet Habakkuk. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. You can find it on your devices. It's in the back of the bulletin as well. The first thing about waiting on the Lord, which we need to be able to do, according to Habakkuk, is trust God's character in a time of waiting. Verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look uh, wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? The man more righteous than he. Like he said, he appeals to God's character when he says, O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. There's a relationship with the Lord here that's going on. That God is the God of everlasting and he's holy. He's not the God of Habakkuk's imagination. He's not making this up. He's consistent with what God has revealed to him through his word throughout time at this point. For it's been about 1,400 years of God's revelation to humanity. And so he's trusting in that. And yet, he's still wrestling faithfully, Boldly and honestly complaining to the Lord, right? Lloyd-Jones notes, you know, that great preacher in the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said, we should always start our prayers with what we know to be true about God. We don't make it up. What we know is true, and that's what we appeal to. And one of the great blessings of being an Anglican Christian, as you guys know, when we pray together in the colics, we're appealing to the character of God. You know, people go, wow, that's beautiful. I go, yeah, I don't naturally pray like that. 
Blessed, script, blessed Lord, who caused all whole scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to read, to mark, to learn. Do you pray like that? Most of us don't on our own, but we have people who we stand on their shoulders, grateful for their witness to us, guiding us to pray according to God's character. So that's the first thing. You start with praying to his character about what is true about him. Habakkuk's Lord are you not eternal? You're forever. You're everlasting, my, whole, my holy one. And notice in verse 15 to 17, he just continues to boldly and honestly, faithfully wrestle with God. He starts talking about the Babylonians. You know, Lord, really? You're going to use them as a judgment upon us? You know, they're destined for destruction. They don't believe you. They don't trust you. That's what he's talking about the whole time. So there's this tension that's going on. He's appealing to God according to his character, but he's still wrestling boldly and honestly with the Lord, as we can do. And then he says some of the most beautiful texts in all of Scripture. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Why do cities build towers? All ancient cities had towers at the corners and sometimes in the intermediate stages of the, of, the, of the city. Fortified walls. Why? So you could put guards in them. They could keep a watch out. If a of a big caravan was coming, they could announce a caravan's coming in, open it up because they're bringing business to the city. That's a good thing. A not so good thing is you come over and you see an army and they would sound the alarm. And in a similar way, this is exactly what Habakkuk is doing. He means in a spiritual manner, I'm waiting on the Lord by going into my tower. And what that means is that you must not just simply look at the problem that's before you. You have to put it in a bigger perspective of what the Bible tells you is true about your situation. All right? For example, Paul, Romans chapter 8, writes, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That word reckon is the Greek word legizomai. It means to add it up, to calculate it, to, to detail it. All right? And what Paul is saying is there is I've had a lot of physical problems. I've had a lot of sufferings in my life. I've had all kinds of problems, but I'm going to put all those in perspective. My sufferings look really big until... I compare them to the glory that will be revealed to me and you. He's going into this tower. He's looking at the big picture and suddenly all his sufferings look pretty small. This is relevant for us today. You know, Paul's meditating on the glory that's coming until it penetrates him. And he looks at his suffering and he sees that even in his suffering, he can handle it. Do you see that? And that's what Habakkuk is doing. Waiting on the Lord is not a passive activity. I think and I think and I think 
about the glory of the Lord that is mine and yours in Christ Jesus and the sufferings become eventually something that I can handle. And as that perspective is gained, patience is also developed in us. You, know, you don't pray for patience, it's developed in you. And waiting on the Lord comes from this act of deliberate perspective in the tower. Waiting patiently. So our question about waiting on the Lord going into my tower is, how large is my vision of what God is doing in my life? How large is it? How much does my concern stretch outside my home and into my region and around the world? How willing are we to wait? And as we're waiting, we're praying through his word. We're in his word. We're continuing to serve and love and wait. Well, we do all that by trusting in who God's character truly is and not my own and going to my tower. And so then the Lord gives an answer, an extended and comprehensive answer, quite frankly, that he's in control as the creator and as the judge and the revealer of his will. So the first thing that he reminds Habakkuk is that his word cannot fail. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Habakkuk, take notes. You're going to need this. And the point is, this is God's word to Habakkuk as he superintends the word for us here in 2020. So that as we read it, we may run in our hearts. All right? We may sprint and have a joy that surpasses all understanding because of what the Lord's doing in our lives. This is God's word. It's not as much from Habakkuk as it is from the Lord. And that waiting is going to require patience and obedience. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits the appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Brothers and sisters, Habakkuk never saw the conclusion of this vision. He died. He never saw it. So it's important for us to realize that a day to the Lord is as a thousand years in Peter. So really, to the, from the Lord's perspective, it's only been two and a half days since Habakkuk. Think about that. Oh, my friends, it will come. Because we can see what Habakkuk couldn't. Because what he continues to say, he compares the Babylonians and then he compares his people. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. That's the Babylonians that are, are surrounding the gates. They're going to come in. Yes, they're going to take over. But the righteous shall live by his faith. You've heard that before. All right. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul directly quotes Habakkuk. That the righteous shall live by his faith. Otherwise could be translated, those who by their faith are righteous shall live. It means really live, 
live no matter what your circumstances. That there's an abundant life within you because of the love of the Lord that's in you. And that the salvation is by faith alone, not our works. <laughs> All right. Now, it's salvation by faith alone, but it doesn't remain alone. Because as you might remember, James 2.17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right? It's evidence that we have faith. And you see, as we wait on the Lord and we trust in his character, and we go into our tower as a follower of Christ, we're willing to go to that tower and stand at our watch no matter what. And we're not waiting on the Lord for what he can give me. I'm waiting on the Lord for who he is. Because when you first began to love and follow the Lord, probably you did it because you needed to get something. We all did, right? I was unhappy, and so I wanted happiness. I felt guilty, therefore I wanted forgiveness. My life was just kind of out of order, and I needed order and direction and, and hope. And, and that's okay. That's good. But we can't stay there. Think of it this way. If, if someone were to fall in love with you, all right, and she or he loved to hang around with you because of all the benefits they got out of their lives because they were with you. And all of a sudden, something happened to you where all those benefits, extra relationships and contacts and networks, all disappeared, and they dropped you like a lead balloon and walked away, how would you feel? You'd feel betrayed, objectified, dehumanized even. And you would think, that person never loved me. They loved me for what they got out of me when they were with me. They're, they're treating the, the Lord, or they're treating me in an awful way. And yet for years as a pastor, I've spoken to many people who have said, Oh, I used to go to church. I prayed for things and God never gave me anything, so I'm out of here. They've been darkened the doors of a church since. They're treating God for what they can get, not for who he is. And they're treating God the way they would never allow anyone to treat them. No, my friends, they would be outraged. And so, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? means to love him for who he is in himself. To be faithful to him even when you're getting nothing out of it. It's only in times of trouble that you have an opportunity to turn from your self-absorbed and self-interested relationship with God into a vibrant relationship with God. Into a real love for Jesus Christ. And we see this throughout the scriptures. We see it in not only in Habakkuk, but we see it in Jeremiah and Job and in the Psalms. I mean, pray the Psalms. You know, every morning and evening, take one of those Psalms. In the back of the prayer book, there's a whole plan on how you can use the Psalms. They get pretty brutal. There's bold and honest complaints to the Lord. This is real. Don't tell me my preaching is not relevant. It matters because they matter to him. And so do you. They're wrestling. They're angry. 
They're struggling. But they're serving him just because he is, and they're loving him just because he is God. And it's possible to get there, but most of the time it's only possible through tough times. Therefore, whenever darkness comes down upon you, think of it as God asking you this question. Now we're going to find out if you're in this relationship to get my stuff or to get me. Because when we go before his face, we get the Lord himself. That's faith. That's faithfulness. And those who are righteous shall live with that in the present. So if you stick with him no matter what, and you learn to be faithful to him when you're getting nothing out of it, when that darkness lifts, you'll find that that pressure has turned your heart of coal into a beautiful diamond. And so we rate with him because we're right with him. In Luke 12, 37, Jesus is speaking about to his disciples about meeting him face to face at the end time. And he says in 1237, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, because they're waiting. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. He will come and dress himself. Anytime Jesus says, truly I say to you, we need to sit up and pay attention. Because he's saying something important, right? It's a solemn statement, and I'm telling you this one will blow you away. Because what he's saying here is, at the end of time, I'm going to have all my people sit down at the table. I'm going to dress myself and take your order. You want steak or lobster? The word dress yourself, or the old word gird, is a metaphor for the ancient person pulling up their robe, tightening their belt, and becoming a servant. And it's a laser-focused term. It focuses on this one goal. God and Jesus Christ is saying, I'm going to focus all my powers on inflicting upon you all the joy, all the honor, all the fulfillment, and all the happiness that I possibly can upon you. All my endless energy on you. I will literally wait on you. I will dress myself to be a waiter and I will serve you. And you're thinking, whoa. Yeah. You say, how can that be true, Gene? How do we know that's going to happen? Well, he's done it once. And he just said, and Luke, he's going to do it again. Because on the night that he was betrayed... He dressed himself and washed the disciples' feet. And what did they do? Oh, Lord, you can't do that for me. If you won't let me do this, I have nothing to do with you. You have to let me do this because I'm going to go to the cross for you. As a matter of fact, he served us by going to the cross and dying the death we couldn't have died. He lived the life we couldn't have lived. Do you see his perspective? Do you see his patience as he waited on the disciples and us and waited on the cross for us. 
That's the ultimate perspective. That's the ultimate patience. That's the ultimate obedience. So here's what I want to ask each and every one of us this morning. If you see Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, willing to lay aside all his position and celestial being and joy and coming down and waiting on you by going to the cross for you and not giving up in the Garden of Gethsemane, existing under the wrath of God upon the cross, why can't you wait for him now in your tower? You see, if you see Jesus doing all that in the past, waiting on you now in the present, and you waiting on him, and you see him waiting on you in the future, you'll be able to wait now, no matter what you're going through. And you'll be able to do this with supernatural joy that you never had before, because He's in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's trust him in his word. Let's go to your tower and wait. And as we wait and we trust him, we're righteous, perfect in his sight, and we can live. And my friends, that's perfect freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made it possible for us to wait on you. And you've given us that perspective and that prospect of a future with with Jesus waiting upon us. He's done so in the past and he will do so in the future. And if he is waiting on us, and if he's going to wait on us, we, Holy Spirit, can wait on him. We pray you'd fill us, Holy Spirit. For these are difficult times we're in right now. And many of us are having difficulty bearing up under these times. And yet we pray you would just fill our hearts full with amazement and wonder and gratitude and joy when we think of Jesus Christ patiently waiting on us, serving us, dressing himself for us on the cross so we can do the same for him now and handle these tumultuous times we find ourselves. And as we do so, become something beautiful. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.